we're training our emotions here and they're inherently tied in to our mind and our body and where those emotions are held. So number one, I know that if I can just shut my mouth, I can move my fear base. Hello, I'm Wendy Welton, and I'm so pleased you're joining me for the Make Movement Matter podcast, created for those who want to learn more about the wide world of movement and be inspired by individuals who've made transformations through the positive force of movement in their lives. Having gone from moving without thought to being fearful of even small daily movements due to chronic pain, I'm intrigued by the effect fear has on our movement. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Julie Angel, who coaches midlife women to help them increase their movement confidence, among other things. Her knowledge came from an earlier part of her career when she was filming people in the world of parkour, which inspired her book about them, entitled Breaking the Jump. Watching them made her face her own fears and informed part of the MAPS movement system she now coaches and lives by. We started with a discussion about why we have fear, whether we can ever get rid of it, or whether it can be used as a positive force. Fear is one of our greatest survival protection instincts. It's the early alarm, it's the smoke alarm, it's the carbon monoxide alarm, it's the engine light in your car. It's the thing that signals to us, this is something out of the norm for whatever situation we're in. So every cell in our body has an innate will to survive. And without these fear warning systems, we would just be kind of presuming like, well, everything is fine. So to kind of understand the value of fear, you have to look at, well, what's counterpoint to that? And if there's no fear, then it means everything's fine. And if everything's fine, you're presuming that you don't need to ever do anything differently or that there isn't something, you know, we're, we're part of the natural world. We're an animal. We're, we, we are, you know, although some people may say, oh, we're at the apex. It's like, well, put me in the middle of uh, the savannah and, and, <laughs> and, and I think the lion would have something different to, think, <laughs> to say about that. So there are things to fear. There are, um, and it's not just, you know, other species um, kind of fears. So we need to be able to fear other people. Not every, you know, there is stranger mm. danger. There are predators. There are sociopaths. Not everyone is well and happy and kind. Um, there are environmental threats. So it's a threat warning system. And what's really interesting about fear is that it's bio-individual. It's not always rational. And the, the, the subject or, or the actual threat doesn't have to be real but how we experience it and the neurochemistry that happens downstream is real regardless of the reality of a perceived or imagined threat. The chemistry is still the same. So we really don't want to get rid of it, do we? Never. Because then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> well, well, I mean, there's, there's you know, I, 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 want to, I want to be warned. I want to know when something's off. I want to know when someone someone is off. So this is our, our gut instinct. This is our gut brain, which is really, really tuned into fear. So everything from, you know, like, do you get butterflies in your tummy? Or there's, you know, you open the door and for some reason you're just like, 
I just wanted to shut that door. Or you're in a car park and or you're going into the lift and there's one person stood in that lift and you don't, you can't rationalize it, but you're like, I don't want to go in the lift. And here's the thing, we shouldn't go in the lift and we should close the door and we should stop being so polite (laughs) for fear of upsetting people because there's a lot of societal norms tied into these fears and presumptions around how we should behave and what's rational and what isn't. I mean, even everything from, you know, we train children to be aware of strangers and then we take them to go and sit on this big old portly gentleman with a big beard and a hat who they've never seen before and give give him a hug. And actually their reaction, I remember my youngest. Terrifying. Absolutely freaking out. I mean, you don't they don't sit on the knee anymore. That's clearly not allowed, but they stand next to him and they are freaking out. And yeah. it's understandable. And in a way, thank goodness. That's the We've trained them for that. Response. Stranger danger. Stranger yeah. danger. You know, I remember yeah. at school, um, there was a a kind of phase of like if if there's a man at the gate and he asks you if you want to go and see his cute new puppies. puppies. It was always about the puppies and it was always like, I don't ever, like, I love puppies, but never, never, never say you want to go and see a stranger's puppies. And as adults, we can go, of course. But when you're (laughs) six, it's like, oh, puppies, they're so cute. Um, So yeah, predators, threats, environmental, human. And it's it's interesting because, you know, even from that discussion, we've ranged from, you know, children right through to adults. um, And yet there's kind of a push-pull relationship with fear the whole way through even at the most basic level where I suppose if you're talking about childhood I think that's an interesting place to be because we receive a lot of subconscious messages like the um sorry sorry more conscious messages like the you know stranger danger but then there's lots of subconscious ones where for example someone perhaps in our family or someone who's an important person around us starts to talk in a certain way that makes us fear something that perhaps there is no need for because they are projecting their fear onto you and you don't know that's happening it's an early stage i'm thinking things like oh don't climb the tree you might fall step away from the edge step away from the edge. step away from <laughs> get the down edge from there get down because from there you might plastic. fall yeah. and yet there's the the beautiful saying about yes you know i might i might fall or i might fail yes but you might fly and it's it's I love that again. It's the two sides where, and I remember seeing my middle one who was an avid climber climbing the tree. We've got one tree in the garden that's climbable, and not kind of noticing he'd scrambled up there and just seeing a little head way up and having to do the okay, I'm all right with this. This is fine. This is fine. He will be safe. He's got up there, therefore he knows how to get down. And trying to resist the urge of saying, be careful. What a silly thing to say. It's a bit like saying, don't worry. (laughs) You know, it's impossible. But it's amazing how perhaps those childhood um, subconscious signals that are sent out affect us probably later in life and and perhaps make us put our own brakes on too early. Definitely. So, I mean, there's some theories that, you know, most of our sort of behaviours and habits are formed by the age of seven. We're just kind of sponges up until seven. So if you're in an environment where you have overly, and, and we see this with pets, you you look at you know a, a dog's behavior and you look at the owner's behavior, 
There's a lot of same, same that happens for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. If you have a kind of shouty, uptight, tense person, chances I are the I love the, the dog... way Pax just walked to the back of the back <laughs> That's the dog, by the way. Yes. And dog. I love it. Time um, <laughs> then, then a lot of the time, you know, the, the dog will be anxious. So we, we learn, you know, these are learned behaviors. So if you do, you know, if you're in an environment where um, your family was like, oh, let's go and look at the edge. Oh, that'll be fun. That's really cool because we're all capable. Everything's going to be fine. Then you're going to have this sense of, well, the edge is not something to fear. Whereas if you are in an environment where your peers are saying like, wait, wait, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Then you're like, okay, like, because these are your guides in life. They they are guiding you. They are teaching you. And and we carry that. And it's much harder to unlearn than to learn because we're just these sponges that are just learning these societal norms and cues from our family, from our teachers from our friends. It's like when you suddenly have a friend who's very adventurous relative to you and you're kind of like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then you gradually dip your kind of toe in the water and you start to realize like, wow, for me, that's something really extreme. And for them, they're like, oh, that's a nothing. That's not anything I would even like think about. So there's a a very relative scale and our unconscious learning and and learning is sort of unfolding Mm. relative to our environment and what we're exposed to over time. Very much. And I think that um, your awareness of your own fear is an interesting one. You said before about how fear can be irrational and yet therefore the opposite meaning it can be rational. So the rational is you're on an edge, it's incredibly high, there's a wind blowing, it, this is you're in a more dangerous situation you've put yourself there whereas the more irrational fears um where I, I shouldn't do this just in case such and such happens how do you think as an adult we can separate those out how can you know when you're verging on the irrational rather than the rational there's a lot of difference between risk and danger And a lot of the time, whenever we talk about danger and fear, we should also talk about the probability of risk. And that's where this kind of rational, unrational or irrational, conscious, unconscious mind comes into it. So, and again, it can be really individual. So there can be a situation where, so say, so I have friends who climb. And they, um, so they do a lot of bouldering, they do buildering. So this is climbing without ropes, without support. Uh, when they're bouldering, you know, they have a little mat at the bottom um, and they have friends kind of spotting them. But also some of them just go on their own <laughs> and do things. And they are very, very experienced, very equipped, attuned climbers. So is there an implicit danger that, well, when you're at that top edge and you miss that hold, that you you could slip? Yes, that's a probability. But if we look at their preparedness and how that feeds into their risk, so how well prepared and trained are they to both, we can only control our emotions and our physical capacities. We can't control the environment. So 
two out of the three, how well versed are they? How well prepared are they both mentally and physically? And therefore, how much does that feed into um, the likelihood of there being a clear and present danger with a high probability of happening? So, you know, if you took someone uh, for a walk and on a hike and there was, you know, you, you go to the beach and there's, there's, a, there's some cliffs and there's a drop. So if someone had never been there before, they were, I don't know, visually impaired, they had really slippery shoes, they were uncoordinated and gung-ho, there is a much higher probability or risk, perhaps, that they may put themselves in greater risk than someone who knows the area, has been there before, has really good grip, has has more um, sensory input. And I know, like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, oh, God, what have I said? And someone's going to say, like, oh, she's saying this about this. And it's like, you you know what I mean, common There's sense. There's always someone can say yeah. something. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I but just, just to say we can, um, you know, like, I can look at the waves of, a, of and assess whether I should go out surfing. Yeah, it's is, all at your own level, isn't it? So that, and, and it's, you're giving and, an example of something that yeah. may seem extreme to others. And yeah. yet we could be thinking about the same risk in terms of climbing up some uh, rocky steps yeah. that are slippy yeah. and whether we use the handrail or not. It doesn't matter yeah. what the level is. It's, yeah. as you say, about the awareness of what you're doing and how prepared you are. And whether you think, you know, sometimes like I'll look at the waves and I'll be like, I have no business out there today. Yeah. That's not, that's not for me. Or I'm on a walk and like, you know, there's little stones and you can go across the river and it's like, I'm really tired and I've been really yeah. clumsy all morning. Like, this is not, I, a I not, plan. not the day. <laughs> this is yeah. not, this is not the day. And actually sometimes when you're going through those moments, um, in your mind's eye, you do, and, and is this that fear popping in? you do see it going wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, a, I'm really quite a clumsy person. And I not, I'd love to say that it's not me as a person. But um, uh, as I think, you know, I'm hypermobile in certain joints. And that means that I'm not quite as good with knowing quite where something is in space, my body is in space. So I'm more likely to bump into doorways and drop things a lot. And sometimes but we won't talk about that um and my husband is regularly okay he now knows when I give him a certain look and I say yeah I've done I've banged the this or I've dropped the that or I've broken the that you know I'm like but it's not me it's because I'm from mobile yeah in my mind's eye because I have those things Mm -hmm. that actually increases my fear Mm -hmm. because I am more likely to think yeah I I have a greater propensity to break things and potentially myself if mm-hmm. I do that. And I have to really work against that um, because I know it's that fear thing coming in. And yet I know that I also have the skills not to, to, to be capable, to be fine. Um, yes. And it's interesting, it's that knowing yourself and that connection again, I mean, interesting to talk about the mind-body connection where, um, how connected are you to your body? How much do you know um, about how capable you actually are? How strong do you feel to do the thing? Um, how stable, how coordinated and so on. And, and crossing that path on the stones 
you need quite a few skills to do that. It may look like absolute child's play. Um, and yet to many, that really is taking some level of skill that if you've not practiced before, you're going to fear it because, you know, you haven't got the experience of the fact that you are capable of doing that. Um, I want to move into your experience with parkour, um, which is a word which may make some listeners go, pardon? Because it's an unusual thing for, um, uh, if I'm allowed to say, a midlife woman like yourself, like myself, to be talking about as one of their skill sets, really. Um, so I'd love you to share with us a little bit about how you got into it, why you got into it, and then how it helped you see fear. Mm -hmm. So parkour is a way of um, moving through the environment and overcoming obstacles. So it can be, you know, your kind of how do I get from A to B? Um, it could be outside. It could be in nature. It was, it's been really popularized in the media through <clears throat> people doing it in urban environments because it looks like Spider-Man. It looks like this is kind of like, oh, like the city ninja type of thing. And and at its most spectacular people, you you do have people jumping across rooftops. Um, and But the most everyday thing is people are training on very low level objects, whether it's kind of logs or railings or walls and things like that. But it's this very playful way of reimagining your environment reimagining how you can use things in ways they weren't designed for and it's also um built on this kind of french military physical education system of being strong to be useful and being strong to last it it isn't its roots aren't in anything about being spectacular or extroverted it's about a very kind of practical can can you scale that wall could you crawl under this thing um if you you know if you needed you know if a dog was chasing you could you scramble up and get over that wall um but it's also an invitation to invite in challenge and and you get to see who you are in the moment when you do that so it is this very incredible kind of tool for self-knowledge and that makes it actually an introverted practice as opposed to even though we see a lot of videos because it has this very spectacular side to it as well. So um, as well as being a movement coach, I'm a documentary filmmaker. And back when I was 34, I'm now 54. Oh, my God, 20 years ago, um, uh, I was uh, I'd moved to London and I'd just before that, I'd actually been out here in Southern California, where I now live, and myself and a friend had made a film, a documentary film about people who search and find round bottom swimming pools and skateboard in them. So oh. the documentary is called Chlorine. And this was really my kind of first foray into, I, I had friends who were skateboarders and surfers. I'm from Plymouth. There's, you know, lots of those kind of lifestyle sports. Um but it was really the first time of spending a lot of time around people who got really excited about environments that had never excited me. Like I'm excited about swimming pools with water in, not, yeah. not empty ones. <laughs> um, I'm excited, you know, about kind of like the nice, safe looking areas of town. And these were like, no, let's go down Route 66 and all the bankrupt empty houses and jump fences and clean the pool and go in and da, 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 da. 
And so that had kind of opened my eyes. And I liked, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of rebel archetype. So I, I liked the kind of lawlessness of it. I liked yeah. the like, oh, the adventure was was really fun. And they, to me, they were artists who had, the, who just brought this kind of physicality to it. Um, and I was a sporty teenager who stopped moving at 16. Classic trajectory. Classic. Really sporty. Girl. I was like exactly. Plymouth Athletics Club, captain of the netball team, oh, loved wow. swimming. I was really active. Then I sat on my ass. Why and I just went. Happen? It's so sad. Yeah. And and hopefully things are different for, for young women these days. But I, I don't see it, to be honest. I, I actually don't see it. Um, and I just went, all my energy went into my creative endeavors and identity. And um, so I was back in the UK. I moved to London. And this was in 2003. Then um, I was studying visual anthropology. So how to document kind of other cultures and people in ways where there's this feedback loop and you do it over a long period of time. Oh, so, yeah. oh I mean, I, I still, wow. still to this day, I, I love it. So it's not about me filming and being the expert. It's about me filming and then showing the people I filmed and going, what do you think about that? And then them going like, no, you don't understand what we're doing because the way you filmed it, like oh. you kind of cut it before we, we landed. And unless, unless I see the landing, I, I don't know the quality of that movement. And you're like, ah, okay. Yeah. I thought the, be- the bit that really mattered was that pretty bit when you're in the air in the middle. And they're like, the impressive nah. the, Yeah, the yeah. spectacle. Yeah. So, and it was like, nah, because unless I see how they land and get up, I don't know if they can move again. You you can fly through the air, but you can land like a bag of potatoes and get up and sprain your ankle and like not move and for the next three bones, months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but in the air, someone go like, "Wow, that that person's amazing!" And like you see them land and they go, "That person is not amazing in the slightest. That person is reckless. That person is ill prepared. That person um, is a, is you know X Y and Z." So there's this feedback loop. So that informs you how to document them and their culture in a way that someone else can be able to understand. So it's about a celebration of difference and how one group can understand another. And you're just this audiovisual communicator who speaks both languages. So you have to be inside the culture you're documenting, but you have to be outside enough so that you can still relate to the other people who are outside so you can do things in a way that they understand. And yet you had no parkour experience, am I right? Before you started Correct. Film. Okay. Correct. So my experience in parkour, so I, I ended up doing, signing up for this visual, um, audiovisual PhD at Brunel University. I'd only ever written a thousand word essay before. My supervisors had great faith, but I had like 10, 15 years of documentary filmmaking. So I started documenting and filming this kind of very young parkour scene in London at the time. So I started filming in 2004. I had no intention of moving. No, no intention of, I was, my, I I was very fixed in my identity. I was like, hi, my name's Julian. I'm an independent filmmaker. And I traveled. And so I kind of thought I was like kind of brave and cool because I traveled and I was a filmmaker. Um, And because I had this athletic past, I kind of thought, I, you know, I could still relate to the movement, even though these were movements that weren't familiar to me. But they were familiar when we went to Torquay and did a shoot and they were running around on big boulders. I was like, well, this is like Dartmoor. And they kind of how I moved, even like with the camera on these rocks was just 
it, it was second nature to me because I'd grown up running up and down the moors um, and never thinking kind of anything of it. But when you're around people who want to move, it makes you want to move. And because of this style of visual anthropology, I was spending a lot of time with these people. It wasn't like, oh, we go and film for one day and then I'll see you in three months time. It was like several times a week. You're like you're, You really become part of um, a community and you find a role in that community. And my role was, was this kind of documentary filmmaker. And I was kind of like getting itchy feet. But also, I was filming people who were 15 years younger than me, who were the oldest of that group. I was the only female when we were, when we were out and about. And, and they, were, they were encouraging. I have to say, this, this group of young men, they'd be like, oh, come on, Julie, have a go. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. Thank you. I'm fine <laughs> behind my camera. Yeah, and I did. I really hid behind the camera. And then one day we were filming um, in some or these little circular walls in Elephant and Castle in London. And I was stood up on a wall and I could either like put the camera down, climb down from the wall, walk across, put the camera up and climb up the other wall. Or I could do this one, what they call a precision jump, like jump from one wall to the other and kind of just carry the camera with just like a little like leap kind of step. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought no one was looking. And so I did it. And one of them went, oh, Julie did parkour. And I was like, no, like really so shy and embarrassed. Um, and then a few months later, um, and there was also no organized structure. So even if I had been someone who was like, okay, guys, I, I want to learn this. Can you show me and train me? Number one, None of them really were trainers. And it wasn't until um, a guy called Francois Motop, or known as Forrest, he joined the group. And he was a personal trainer. He, he was, um, he'd been a, a French professional goalkeeper in football. He'd, I think he'd done competitive swimming at a national level as well. He was a personal trainer. Like, I trusted Forrest to train me. Right. I didn't trust the other. I'm and like, that's an essential ingredient, isn't it? I don't feel Ultimately. safe with them. Yeah. yeah. You need yeah. to feel safe to have someone take you. To be my guide. Out of that comfort zone and eke forward. Yeah, to be scalable. To And just because someone is an inherently natural athlete themselves has nothing to do with them being a good coach. No. And also someone who has found things really, really easily can't always relate to someone who's scared of everything and finds nothing easy. So Forrest came onto the scene and then, and there was a class, there was like a structured, like be at this location at this time class. And I was like, okay. And this was six months in and, and I went, I mean, I just, I cried and died. <laughs> like, so you had, and you had no protection of the camera. You had no thing no. to use no. as the excuse to say, no. I can't do that right now. I'm filming. <laughs> no. And I did even for the next 10 years at parkour events where I was like half joining in, half filming, I would use my camera every time to be like, oh, I'm tired. That's a bit scary. I'd be like, oh, I better shoot this. <laughs> I would just go and pick or if I got tired, I'd be like, just gotta go and check batteries. Like I've got as my as Vic my friend would say to me, like, you've got more excuses than a pregnant man. It's like, yeah, I can like I can get out of stuff. And and a camera gives you 
um, it's incredible the kind of power you have when you have a camera. It's amazing what people will say yes to when you have a camera. Oh, excuse me, can I just go there? Can I film that? Can I do that? Yeah. It's extraordinary. Whereas if you didn't have the camera. The vulnerability without it. You had then experienced in the class. Because it was probably like you were naked. Because it was your usual armor. Yes. (laughs) And, And it was also a new identity of... My it, my relationship with the people I was filming <clears throat> was I'm I'm someone who's documenting you. I can actually control how you're represented visually. Um, and there's a feedback loop of trust there. And then suddenly, no, you're the authority. And I'm I'm wanting to cry in front of this this, this obstacle, <laughs> or like I'm I'm sweating and dying, and I'm and. And also to say, like, I was like the runt of the litter in all the movers. So at this first class, there was another woman who's one week older than me. But the difference was with the wonderful, amazing Karen Palmer is she didn't stop moving at 16. She carried on moving. So Karen was... She's like, oh, I do a zillion sports. Oh, I do like squash fine. and athletics and da 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 da. She she came into parkour with a physical base, with a bravery, with with a passion. With a, she had fire in her belly for parkour. Like she saw it, it spoke to her, and she was like, I'm doing that. And confidence and I, in her body as well, I presume. Yes. So because she knew how capable it was in lots of different ways where if you she hadn't was, tested that you don't she know. was testing it in all her other sports which yeah. doesn't mean that she didn't test it in parkour and she didn't test it in new ways because she it's did a different way. and she had incredible bravery and equal amounts of fear our journeys were different though and everyone's journey is different and um what was really interesting for me is I still had a little bit of sporting ego. My 16-year-old self still thought I would be quite capable. And so it was really humbling and shocking to go like, shit, where did all this fear come from? I knew that I wasn't physically strong. I was kind of skinny fat, so I didn't look any different. But I had, I had, I had no muscle. I would sit in the car next to these athletes and you, we were all like, I remember one time we were on a, a shoot to, to Paris and we were all scrunched in the back of the car and like their legs were like bricks. And I remember like pushing my thighs and being like, it's not muscle. <laughs> just like no muscle, no muscle. Just really like really, really soft. And, and when everyone's wearing baggy clothes, you can't see like these people are bricks. They, they, their musculature is very developed. But although I knew I didn't have that, I wasn't prepared for the level of fear that exposed itself. And I realized like, wow, unless we consistently invite in challenge and we are flexing this emotional muscle of understanding fear, managing our emotions so that we can manage fear because fear is going to be present. When fear isn't present, I'm really worried about people. And I've only ever 
in like 15, 20 years of both documenting and then coaching people, seen two people who lack what I would say is an adequate amount of fear. Yeah. And one was a woman and she was just gung-ho about everything. And, and, and it's very rare you have to kind of like rein someone as an adult back in. Most of us are just overly cautious. That's because father, we've stopped. Actually. Yeah, we've I, my, stopped. Sorry, oh, was he gung ho? I was going to say he he we, he ha definitely has a very different level of perception of risk to most other people. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, just to chip in with, I would have the him pushing, saying, "Well, why not?" And my mum probably became almost more anxious and fearful than she already was because she was having to counter <laughs> witness <him>. is <laughs> like yeah. push pull push pull push pull yeah yeah and actually yeah so i don't know where i landed in the end of that yeah right it's... when you meet someone like that it is um yeah it's a little bit scary because you're not quite sure uh if they, they manage it do they know you. what they're doing yeah and, is this going to end well are they are they aware of what those risks are and mm -hmm. is has it is it calculated is it rational yeah um can i can i ask you about the parkour um fear when you were in that first class and you came probably with huge amounts of fear because it was the unknown as much as anything and we can have such huge fear we can create such stories in our minds about what could happen or how it's going to be and often then when we're in the situation it's not quite so bad it's not mm -hmm. as bad as we thought was there sort of by the end of the class was there a feeling of that was that and, and also did your coach coach you about fear and working with your fear was that part of what you were doing to help you physically by the end of the class all i felt was joy and fun and elation it it was I was I was on a high. I remember like not being able to sleep when I got back to the house and I was just like, Oh, that was amazing. And then wow. the next day, even though I'd been, you know, around parkour and, and filming it and editing it, so really watching, not just kind of, you know, I would spend like say, you know, three hours of an afternoon with, with some people, but then I would then spend, you know, another fifteen hours replaying and watching that. So I, I was getting a huge amount of kind of mirror neurons of of exposure to this but embodying and doing movements even though you know like they were doing this and I was doing this like a, a you know a, a, I was doing like a five percent of visually what what they were doing but fear is relative and how we move our body through an environment is all relative and you know for me like how big is your jump is the most boring uninteresting aspect of parkour it's right it's what what did you experience what did you go through what did you learn about yourself in the moment so at the end of it i felt incredible sense of achievement i was it, it was fun it was exhilarating it it kind of woke me up in life it, it just uh it, it felt wow. wonderful and during the the lesson, um, I was always made to feel safe. I was always made to feel that um, there was positive reinforcement. You can do this, Julie, you've got this, you've got this, it's yeah. okay. And in equal measure, like, <clears throat> just smile and do it. Just smile and do it, smile and do it. And you see all these other people doing it. And 
um, I have a very overactive imagination. And what I know is that the longer I wait and hesitate, oh, yeah. the worse the anxiety is. So even if there's something that I really, really, really don't want to do, I'm like, can I go first? I'm like, get it done. Yes. If I choose That's to so do true. something, I just want to get it done. And also what I've found in a lot of subsequent parkour lessons, especially outside. And if it, if it was, any, I'm really scared of heights. So anything that was kind of felt uncomfortable to me with heights. And if we were like, just like walking on a wall and say the wall was going up and getting higher and higher. If I was behind someone who did the tiniest wobble, I would just like, I, I would, my own physical competence would deteriorate relative to the person in front of me. Like there was this huge physical empathy. And so I was always like, I wanted to go behind the best person. I wanted to go behind or go after the most competent, successful example. The more I saw people who weren't like the idea yeah. or the ideal, the worse my performance was. And, and it's something that I realized just it's something that really worked for me. So anytime there was something, um, especially like with vaulting and, and, and a railing where you're just like, so you have this very small thing to hold on to and to go over. And in my mind, this is how it plays out. Right. I'm going to approach this thing. I'm going to go up. I'm going to clip my foot. I'm, well, I'm going to bang my leg. Then I'm going to clip my foot. And then I'm going to fall on my chin and all my teeth are going to fall out. <laughs> Blood and then I'm going to injure my neck and, and sprain my ankle. And the consequences of that are that tomorrow I'm not going to be able to do that thing and I'm going to not be able to do that thing. So I'm actually going to um, end up homeless. So I'm going to be homeless, toothless, <laughs> I, I think that's in pain, and my life, <laughs> yeah, and my life falls apart. And that would pretty much be the same story every yeah. single parkour class. Really? Every time? Every time. Every time. And... And it got to the point where I had to see the absurdity in comedy. And it's something I saw a lot of the other athletes um, or like the, the really high level athletes do is when they, when someone was doing something and it was say like a first time or is it, you know, it was very outside of someone's comfort zone. The more we used comedy and humor. And so like one of the, like Johan would say to Thomas, he'd be like, Oh, Oh, your teeth are going to fall out. That's going to happen. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <not> great. <laughs> but by saying it, yes, you, don't you realize like everyone's thinking the same thing. My teeth aren't going to fall out. And everyone's, like, thinking, everyone's having those worries. Everyone's having that panic. Everyone is scared. And if we verbalize it, we've shared it. Yeah. And, and then it doesn't own feel you. feel better. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't own you. So, but this kind of, yeah, <laughs> it always, it generally involved like, for some reason, teeth, teeth and chin always played a role. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I must be. I'm very. There must be something know, there. There must be something like I really don't want to lose my teeth, um, you know, or like I can't be a, a filmmaker who turns up to a job and goes like, "Hi." It's like, oh, he's his old toothless Julie. <laughs> but I remember doing um, going to a parkour class one evening, and we were doing wall runs. So you're training to run up a wall, and I would get you'd get to the top, and then it. it I wasn't strong enough to then like push down 
um, in, a, in a clean move. So I would graze the whole of my forearm here. And I was doing, a sh I remember flying to Japan the next day and doing a shoot with Konami video games. And it was 40 degrees Celsius when we arrived in, in Tokyo. And so we go to this meeting and I'm sat at this meeting and I go to roll up my sleeves because I'm really hot. And I look like someone who'd self-harmed, like both forearms were just cut and grazed and scratched. And then I was like, slap me. I'm just going to sweat it out and roll my sleeves down. So, you know, you do get, there's some, you know, you, you're going to get scratches and bumps and, and bruises. But then but that's probably a good thing in some ways, because if the most you've done is bruised, scratched, and you've realized that, yeah, that's you're part fine. of the risk I'm taking, but I'm okay after that. And actually... I feel better because I did it or yeah. I pushed through that initial fear to be able to try, even if I didn't achieve it, even if it wasn't, you yeah. know, succeeding in, in the supposed goal of getting up the wall or whatever, you've still had a go. And presumably um, that helps that loop where the next time, even with the same fears, it's easier to push yourself over that starting line. And, Definitely. and uh, so, so to make this really relatable, because there's a lot of people out there, me being one of them, I, I like to do my mini parkour, which is going. Parkour on, is parkour. Going on it, logs, it's parkour. my little balancing on logs or my it's parkour. going up and down stairs in a funny way, whatever. But all of that is because it's something that is those small things are not necessarily pushing my comfort zone but they are trying to see ways to use my body differently. And I think there's a lot of people who, particularly as they age, um, and I don't know why that really is, but become fearful of using their body in those different ways. And yet, like we were saying, when you're a child, it's an innate thing to be climbing that tree or to scramble across the rocks because you just know it looks fun. It's it's attractive to you. And yet, then when you're older, for some reason, you decide it's either too risky or, yeah, something might happen. Um, and what that then does, I see in people, is that it closes them down in terms of their movement, which is obviously the, the key focus of our conversation is about the fear of movement, really. Um, it closes them down in their risk-taking um, because they believe their capability is now lower because they haven't done something for so long or because social norms say, well, that would make me look silly, so I'm not going to do that. Um, and yet, when you then encourage someone to do something, they feel great. They perhaps mm -hmm. don't feel quite as amazing as at the end of your parkour session, but they certainly feel a liberation from the shackles or that fear can hold you down with. Um, and I'm sure you see that in your coaching quite a lot. So if we if we think about that, say that midlife um, man or woman who hasn't explored or adventured for a while, perhaps has watched, which was entirely me for many years, watched their children playing and scrambling and doing things and sat at the sidelines, sadly, and not got involved because they just didn't have that awareness that they could. 
or that it was good for them or that it would make them feel great um what would you what would you say to that person about analyzing their own fear and how to work with it so the first thing to say is that movement is emotional and a lot of people when they think about movement they just talk about the physical side of movement but movement is really really emotional and the emotions span everything from fear to excitement to joy to um surprise to pain to, to pain and um and how people find joy in movement through these these emotions is really varied so i i know people who just like love to suffer in their right. movement like they love that i don't i'm a kind of movement hedonist i i really like to feel kind of flow and joy but i also know and i think it's really important and it really um i wish kind of someone had said it to me at the beginning of my journey of of reconnecting is that we're a use it or lose it system and the more we stop using something the the more we lose it so we all at some level had this desire to explore and connect and move in our world in a more dynamic 360 degrees strong parkour esque natural movement mm. way to it was always more interesting if you're out on a walk to walk on the log or to walk on that little wall than to just like walk nicely and stand there and da 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 da, da. <laughs> like don't run come here walk next to me like you know if you spend time with like younger kids like they just want to sprint yeah that like there's nothing more frustrating and boring them walking at a normal pace it's just like that is oh boring you know you it's sound like, like my teenagers it, i'm still such a kid inside it is, it's just it's so boring because there, there's an energy there and we're a use it or lose it emotional system as well and when we stop seeking out challenge and we stop doing things that invite us to be brave like i'll never forget one parkour class one evening and we had to jump from one wall to an, an, another wall like so you're standing on one and you jump and kind of catch the wall they call it like a cat leap so you you land and kind of cling onto the the second wall and the lady next to me it was her first or second class and she just went oh my god no one's no one's asked me to be brave in a really long time right and so that has stayed with me for years so we may be brave in facing fears in other aspects of our life like oh you've got to do a presentation for your boss you have to go and do some public speaking um uh you're really shy but you need to go and meet that new group of people over there or um you need to be brave to have this uh, conversation with your you know um, your spouse or something Uh, or your bank manager like so we face emotional fears but we have this disconnect with the idea that our movement is emotional but emotions are completely tied up in our movement so um the thing is to have some compassion with yourself of like right. no you're not scared of everything you just haven't been flexing this and so the thing to do is you just start really really small and to also identify what kind of fear are you dealing with so i was i had 
um, so I had my f- teeth falling out, physical fear story, <laughs> but I also had a fear of looking like an idiot in front yeah. of people that I would then have to turn up and film the next day. And I wanted to kind of re- re- like retain my status of like, oh, hi, my name is Julia. I'm a cool independent filmmaker. Um, <laughs> so it was like, I don't want to be like, oh, Julia's in our, like, Julia's she was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> She's scared of everything falling over couldn't do anything and the reality is that what people value is your your effort and your heart trying they value the bravery they value your vulnerability to to show up and move the dial one percent yeah. And and that's why I, I love kind of movement cultures that really celebrate effort. And I, I have very little interest in yeah. anything standardized competitive measures. Oriented. I'm just like, nah, don't care. And and I think because I spent at least 10 years, I spent over a decade with some of the most elite movers in the world who for them, it was actually like once you've reached a certain physical peak the motivation to keep moving and exploring and maintaining is actually based on your emotional journey this emotional and movement journey this body mind unity rather than you know anyone who's who's kind of you know like we're 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 talking to people and we're people who are movement for life and so if you're stuck in a competitive movement mindset of, well, unless I can do X, I'm, I'm a success. And therefore, when I don't do X, I then become in the Y group and Y group, well, they're losers. So I have That's no value yeah. and self-worth. And Black it's like, and white. Yeah. shut up. Like that, yeah. that is the, the worst kind of self-talk. And it devalues movement. It devalues your potential. So an example to give you a statistic is, so... People who are scared of falling are 70% more likely to fall. Yeah, I'm sure. Which is just makes awful. sense. And yeah. so, and I've, I've seen it play out in parkour workshops. I had one lady who came and all she talked about was injuries. She was just like, scared of getting hurt. I'm scared of getting hurt. I'm scared of getting hurt. I'm scared of getting hurt. And she said, from the moment she arrives, I'm scared of getting hurt. I'm scared. And, and she was, she was in her early thirties and I had to say several times, like, please stop. Like, and I had like a, at the time, like a zero injury in anyone getting hurt in any of my classes. And five, 10 minutes before the end of the class, she had what we call a shinjury. So she was jumping from one wall to another. Ooh. She didn't make it. She didn't hit the wall. <laughs> shinjury. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, well, you've been telling your body you're going to injure it for the last two hours. Mm. And you did. Yeah. So there's a lot of really interesting work of, you know, where you put the mind, the body follows. So there's this emotional journey. So we want to start really small because what we're having to unlearn is that, okay, if I do this thing, something bad's going to happen. So we have to do a really small thing many, many, many times. And what yeah. that does is it gives us this message that reinforces when I do this, nothing bad happens. When I yeah. do this, nothing bad happens. See, see body, see my, look. When I do this, nothing bad happens. So the way that parkour evolved was, and, and the way people still train a lot of these things is you do very, very, very high numbers of repetitions. Right. 
of small things. Small things. And you build them up tiny, 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 tiny. So there's none, it's, it's the complete opposite of strength training. So strength training is like five sets of five reps. We're talking like 101 little jumps, really small. Because also the way your body feels after the first 10 is really different than how it's going to feel between reps 25 to 65, and then how it's going to feel from 65 to 100. But they're so small, and you don't have to do 100. Like you could do like 21 and then rest a little bit and then do another 10. And what I really like, um, and this came from the Yamakazi group, is the last repetition you do, you dedicate to someone else because it then ties into this idea of being strong to be useful and we can get caught up in our own story and and we can, you know it's all about me and this is me and I'm tired and my leg yeah. and my knee and what do I think about what other people think of me and here's the thing no one else is cared Every, everyone else is so self-obsessed no one's watching you no one cares no one like everyone's caught up in their own thing but if we can be a little bit more altruistic also in our movement it also allows you to kind of dig a little bit deeper. And so I, when I was, I took up running, I retook up running when my uncle was in hospital and it was a way for me to kind of calm myself and manage my day other than like spending seven hours a day in the hospital. He'd, he'd broken his neck and he had dementia and it was a, bit, it was a big like, wow. It's, and my parents happened to be in New Zealand. Like they were literally on the opposite side of the world. So I was next to my uncle who I loved so dearly. And so I would run every morning on the moors and when I would get tired I would just think of my uncle and I'd be like I'm not tired yeah I'm fine yeah. like and, and then what you what's really good is you start to set yourself again tiny goals so if you think I'm tired right I'm just going to run to that next tree and then you make it to the tree and you're like well maybe I'll run to that other other tree over there and then you run to that tree so the way our dopamine motivation systems work in our mind is we need to set tiny goals. And then when we achieve them, we get a big like check Applaud and it gives yourself. us a little boost. Well done. Yeah, it's like, yes. Good yes. work, Julie. Whoop, whoop. So yeah. really, really celebrate. And that's another thing to unlearn, especially if you're someone who is, you know, maybe degraded as, as you know, like, yeah. oh, you weren't picked for the sports team or we're giving these stories. Of yeah, like, you're not sporty, well, or because well, you said you you referred to yourself as as sporty. Yeah, I was sporty. The the vast yeah. majority a lot of people, people would say yeah. I'm not sporty. So their their yeah. label is yeah. already from such an early stage. Yeah, almost I'm not capable of moving my body. Yeah. and it's and nonsense. Yet, it's nonsense because that's yeah. about specific siloed sports that yeah. take and and talking about repetition. That's, you know, for each of these sports, you have to repeat very specific patterns over yeah. and over. And there's some statistic that I certainly um, don't know, but it's kind of a bit like in the tennis world, you have to have hit 10,000 tennis balls in one way to even yeah. think about being good, you know, and it's in that across all sports. Yes, it's the 10,000 hours of expertise that's to, that's for skill acquisition. Yeah. I knew you'd get it's it. All for, yeah, it's all Malcolm Gladwell stuff. It's all... Um, and the thing is, you can like we're all movers, and that's why I'm. We about come moving. out moving exactly. We we're all movers. If, if we didn't move, we couldn't survive. Yeah, and so I I like to say to people, you know, movements like music. We can all play a different instrument. You can all have a, a different style, but 
Never think that you're not a mover. Never think that you don't have a place in a movement culture. Never think that you can't change how you move. And the other thing to add in about fear and movement is how fear manifests in our body can be really individual. So for me, I know like my knees actually knock. When I'm when I'm at height, I'm like a cartoon, like do, 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 do. and I've been climbing things. I've been on a climbing wall. I've been on the Dame de Lac in Paris, and my knees have banged against the wall, and the people below me can hear them, and you can you can see them. It's not one of those things where like, can you see? You know, can, you feel like you're really shaking, and someone's and like, yeah, oh, you look yeah, fine. Yeah. It's like you can see my knees knocking. I have a cartoon image going on. Yeah, it is. The little little movement lines either side of the knees. (laughs) It is. It is. It's like, so I've got no teeth. The knees are knocking. It's all a disaster. Um, And then, um, and I'm aware, you know, I'll then start mouth breathing. You know, our breathing pattern changes. My, My stomach jumps up to my throat. So I have, so I physically shake my Breathing tends to mouth breathing. Your heart's and I become, going. My, heart's, my heart rate's up and I, I'm very tearful. I, I'm very tearful very, very easily. Yes. And so, again, we're, we're training our emotions here and they're inherently tied in to our mind and our body and where those emotions are held. So, number one, I know that if I can just shut my mouth, I can move my fear base. So our amygdala, the part of the brain which processes fear, when we're mouth breathing, that triggers more activity in our amygdala. So you're more you're scared all the time, close your mouth. Nice. Retrain your breathing, your nervous system, your your breath, your emotions, one great big feedback loop. And then to also notice like, do you freeze? I've I've been climbing with friends and I, I got up to a climbing wall. I, I got up to a certain point. And uh, I was like, can't make it to the next hold up. And my friend was down, down below and he was like, we need to come down. And I was like, mom, <laughs> this was at Marlene Climbing Mall in London. And um, oh, Andy Day was my friend and um, he worked there. And I was with all my parkour friends who were great climbers and doing great things. And we kind of had a standoff for about 20 minutes. And I was stuck on the wall. Yeah. And, and that's that's an interesting word, stuck, because yeah. that, that's a very physical stuck yeah. in a place, no up, no down, panic, what where's the way out from this? Yeah. And yet that's how people feel a lot of the time about not being up a high wall, uh yeah. just not being able to see any path out because they are frozen. in emotionally frozen that because they can't they don't have that courage or they don't think they have the courage because they don't know how to be brave yeah and there is only one option no there's two options in that situation there's up or there's down well there's three because there's no is there a middle unless you jump (laughs) the middle was to persuade my friend to come up and help me yeah which after 20 minutes he did but the most interesting thing was his initial comment was, Jules, your decision-making turns to shit at heights. Okay, we've learned And it was <laughs> like, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I know that when I start to have a confusion about decisions, 
that's an early warning, yeah. clear and present fear. And so the standoff was, and, and he was, he did amazing. He, and I think I, because I knew that I think I could persuade him to come up and basically create a, a fake hold. So he came up and I literally kind of just stood on his shoulder and got to like that created another foothold that could then take me down. And it made me realize, well, I learned that I need enough energy to come down and not just go up. And I need to practice more ups and downs. And the next time we went to the wall, I could do it and go all the way up. And and also to give ourselves time. And again, I was with people who made me feel safe. I was with people who were never just going to leave me hanging on the wall. Yeah. I was with people who were never going to let me get hurt. I was with people who knew me and knew my boundaries. Like Andy knew, like, she's stubborn as hell. Like. Okay, like if Something I have things going on if, here, if I have yeah. to stand here for twenty minutes, I'm gonna <laughs> stand here for twenty minutes because she's gonna hang on for twenty minutes. And I have other friends who, um, they'll literally like, we're not objective about what we can do because we're living the emotions of it. But a lot of the times, there's a more of a, an emotional barrier than a physical barrier, and other people are better barometers of our physical capacities than we are because they're not clouded with our stories. Emotional stories, yeah. So it's a thing that would happen a lot in the parkour world is when, if there was like a jump, for example, or a movement and someone would say, I can't do it. It'd be like, physically you can, you're just, at the moment, you're just scared. And it's like, okay. And a lot of the times we don't spend enough time with something like literally staring at it, walking up, walking up at it, and then like walking away again. And I had this experience so many times myself, and I witnessed it with others, where I gave it so much time that I actually got bored of the version of me and my story that wasn't brave enough to do it, even though I rationally knew I was physically capable of it. I was physically capable and scared. So that's kind of like a familiarizing, isn't it? It's where we all need to visualize before. That's the yeah. whole, I don't know what it's about until I'm there, until I sort of see it, feel it, hear it, and so on. So I'm in the environment. So there's the fear of the unknown before. And then when you're there, it's, and you know, almost touching the wall, the whatever the thing is, it's allowing yourself to be around that wall mm -hmm. um, to feel the height next to you, I yeah. presume, to, um, to just to say hello. familiarize your body yeah. with yeah. that piece of nature, the world, whatever. Yep. And that's yep. probably quite a really, uh, a, a nice thing for people to take away that, that we talked about trying things lots and lots of times, but also just familiarizing yourself and allowing yourself to not have to do the thing yet. Yeah. Yeah, to know to intend to do it at some point, but yeah. to to build up slowly by thinking I would like to go on that thing, go over that thing, do that thing, but I'm just going to do this version of it first, lots yes. of times, and then I may have more yeah. confidence to to think actually if I'm capable of this, then maybe I'm even capable of that, and start to feel good and reassure themselves that um 
that so at some point they could dare to dream. Absolutely. And to it, there's a really um, cool thing that happens when you actually put more of your body in contact with the location. So this kind of habituation of the more tactile, the more sensory experience you have. And then to also know that like, it's okay if today's not the day. Yeah. And again, it's self-knowledge. Like, am I physiologically tired? Am I scared? Am I emotionally have I tired? Well? Yeah. Have, have I slept well? Or, or yeah. am I just a pregnant nun who's making lots of excuses and today's absolutely a fine day to do it? And, yeah. and then we're just left with our choices and again, to give yourself time, like I had to, like, it was about an hour and a half, two hours in this one playground doing this one. And it was going down this kind of weird tube shape in this playground where you had to like hang from the top and to kind of drop down, you just had to like curve your spine a bit. And I had all these fears about, I'm going to go with it bang my spine, break my teeth are going to fall out, homeless, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I could do it when I leaned forward and grabbed like a forward rail, but the challenge was to do it and grab the top rail. And and all my friends had done it and they were like, oh, Jules, you've got this, you've got this. And I'm like, I'm scared. And I, and I would go and I would do it and I did And then at the last minute, nope, I'd go to the the kind of option two. And then I would like walk around and do something else. And my friend Thomas was just like, well, you know, I'm going to stay here until you do it. I was like, shit. And I know you're being, like, you will. Like, even if I go home, you're going to stay. I know you're going to stay in this playground. And did you take that as I believe in you? Or did you take that as pressure? No, I believe in you. It was a complete generosity of someone else's time and belief and confidence that encouraged me to give it more time, which is, you know, like some people, um, They'll say, say there's one move they're scared of. I'm like, go and spend two hours just doing that one move. And they're like, what, an hour? Like doing one thing? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, but normally when we do that for like five minutes, I'm like, well, that's why you're emotionally not changing anything. Like, but you could probably see that you wanted to. And that oh, you yeah, and he could see that I was... felt capable. But yeah. he could see that barrier. That was oh, that, yeah, because he's, he's got years in the game, years in the game of... Yeah these uh, fear games and making friends with fear and all this move, this parkour movement journey is just a self-knowledge journey of how do you move through the world mentally, physically, emotionally. And fear is a really cool part of that. And harness your fear so that it's like, actually, if you don't have that fear and you can't work with it, Mm -hmm. then you can't embrace that, those and fear and excitement are kind of they have I was that gonna say, sometimes, physiological response. Sometimes it's like a little spider sense, like yes. oh, but it, like I'm I'm a bit I, scared. It's too excited, scared, but it I doesn't know have it's to so good. Exactly, yeah. it yeah. doesn't have to be like <gasps> paralyzing yeah. fear. But you're no. still saying hello. You're still habituating yeah. to fear, and then you can manage your emotions. So I know now, for example, like okay, number one, control your breathing. Number two, keep your eyes open. Then what I do is I close my eyes and I visualize one of my friends doing the thing. And then, and I know they're like every habit. I know like my friend, auntie, like I know like, I know what she'll like 
what she'll do with her hair, what she'll do with her hands, what she'll do with her feet before she does a jump. And even in places she's never been, I visualize her doing it. And then so do I'm you like, think that having a partner like that is is a really good way to get started with something as well? Yeah. Because yeah. then you're See it to be it. mentally holding hands as you're as yeah. you're doing the thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. Like our our mirror neurons are, are really fired. I love that. Movement. I've never heard of that before. Mirror neurons. I'm gonna Yeah. So in the same way look that one up. You know, I I don't want to go behind the person who's walking on a railing and wobbling and falling off. Because if they yeah. fall off, I'll fall off. You yawn, I yawn. I'm I'm very empathic with those things. But also I can use that to my favor. I'm like, oh, you you did that well? Okay, hang on. And sometimes I'll get my friends to go like, okay, can you just do it three times in a row? And then I'll then I'll commit to once. And they're like, okay, if that's what it's gonna take. So there's a lot of um love and community when you start um inviting in challenge on a regular basis. And I love what you said. There was a, the lady in your class had said, no one's asked me to be brave yeah. for a long time. And that was very interesting because um, she obviously hadn't asked herself to be brave, but she'd also not had anyone else asking yeah. her to be brave. Um, so um, this this podcast called Make Move a Matter. And I think we've both really chewed at the topic of fear because it's such an important one in terms of movement um and you've talked about um this taking have, doing something with a friend having someone that you trust to help you through that journey perhaps so that you can be more honest being small um in your movement so that it's a gradual mm-hmm. conditioning so that yeah. you are teaching yourself slowly and carefully and so that there's that repetition so that you're continually saying to your brain and your body um nothing went wrong i'm all good is there anything else for the person who's even further back than that who knows fear is a barrier for them really wants to get just get started uh what would you say to that person um as your your final words of wisdom i would say it's completely normal to feel overwhelmed by an idea of fear. And number one is that having the awareness of it is the first step towards change. And I would invite them to see if they can then identify what is the friction point between you doing nothing and you doing the tiniest thing that no one else will even see as a thing. So what is the one little movement bravery thing you could do And what is the friction point that is maybe stopping you? So like in my kind of early part of not being, not the kind of, you know, like, oh, do this jump or this climb or this balance type of bravery, but the more like freedom in my movement in the environment bravery was to like, to instead of running around the edge of this field, (laughs) I was going to run in zigzags. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And even and, and just on like the last lap before I leave, and like no one's looking. I'm just gonna do a little zigzag and get in, get in my car or my bike and go home. And so to I feel like those in just these emotional moments of how and where we move are bigger obstacles than 
people give them credit for and um, to realize that nobody cares. And actually, so people true. love it when they see it. They're because, empowered. Because they most people, they, they don't want to go and do crazy shit. They, they want to just have more freedom in their movement and abilities and to know that they can reconnect to this side with them. And maybe it's something that um, I've, I've worked with clients who, who were never, who even as children, they can look back and say, like, I was, I was never brave. I was never adventurous. I was never this. And now they're like, I love monkey bars. I want to like, and they're, that's, you know, they've discovered this. So it's never too late to dis to explore these ways that your body can move. And every single human being has fear. And it's really good. If they don't, they have a psychological condition. And <laughs> um, like to, to have a very small amygdala is, is a, a very, you know, it, it's a thing that some people have. Um, and it's really normal. And it's all relative. And to the people who do you see doing really big things, they are just as scared as you are. It just happens on a different scale. So what it takes for them to invite yeah. bravery in is different than what it takes me. But you are both experiencing the same thing. So just start small. Say, make friends with it. Just make friends with it. And it's really normal. I love that. So, so good. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. I, I could talk to you for hours. Um, always a pleasure. I know we could always do hours difficult, hours. Yeah. difficult to stop because I just want to keep going. Um, but I, we will do that in another episode, I'm sure. <laughs> but thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, and I will put all your contact details in the show notes for people to, for where they can find you. But just say, say your contacts now so that people have heard. So you can find me at julieangel.com. I have a very long Instagram title, which is uh, <laughs> julie underscore angel underscore PhD <laughs> underscore movement snacks. <laughs> so or you can, or you can just go julieangel.com. Julie. Um, on Facebook, I'm Julie Angel Movement Snacks. Um, I have I actually have a Facing Fears PDF guide and Movement Snacks guide. Amazing. Um, okay. So I'd be happy to, yeah. And just um, go small say hello it's all normal movement's emotional it sure is it sure is thank you so much thank you i always love hearing my guests movement stories or learning from them about topics they're passionate about i hope you've enjoyed listening and if you have you can help by doing three things first press the follow button to tell podcast platforms you want to listen again Second, please give the show a five-star rating and leave a review about why you liked it. And third, I'd love you to share it with friends and family or on your socials, for which I'm truly thankful. Finally, if this podcast is making you want to start reclaiming your own movement, join me in the Reclaim Movement membership for classes, both live and by replay, and countless videos of mini movement breaks to add into your daily life, covering practical and fun, important natural movements. Visit reclaimmovement.co.uk forward slash membership to get started with your seven day free trial. See you for the next episode and thank you so much for listening.